Hi, this is Pastor Frank at Frank's Bible Study. I want to welcome you to this Bible study. I had a request, and the request had a lot to do with why there is so many different Christian beliefs. And in the Bible, it's termed sectarianism. The, the word sectarianism actually doesn't appear in Scripture, but it is exactly, it's exactly what Jesus is talking about. And the Scripture that it's referring to is found in Mark chapter 9, verse 38 through 41. And that reads, And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followed not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is on our part. Verse 41, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Okay, so this is the scripture that Jesus himself forbade sectarianism. Because what happens is, is that even the apostles were trying to say they're not following us. And you notice they didn't say the word Christian. So this is one thing that I want you to try to understand. And the word Christian is actually in the Bible, and we'll get to that. But here Jesus is telling his disciples because they were asking questions. And I'm sure they did. I'm sure they had a lot of questions. Even after he uh, died and resurrected, they still had a lot of questions. So these are things that, as we progress through the New Testament, you will see a lot of those questions are answered by the Apostle Paul. Now, that aside, so reading these scriptures in Mark chapter 9, verse 38 through 41, Jesus is saying that in verse 40, Jesus says, For he that is not against us is on our part. In other words, he is a part of this faith that Jesus himself, the Messiah, is growing out of the hearts and minds of the Jews because they know the Old Testament, they know the Tanakh. And so a lot of those scriptures that they're using are coming from the Tanakh. You have to realize that all of their belief that they're putting their faith into is the words of the Hebrew Bible, which we now call the Old Testament. But that's what that's the evangelist handbook at the time. So Jesus is quoting all throughout the Old Testament. And he's giving them references that they understand. Now, Jesus is not saying we're separate from Jews because they're Jews. We're not separate from the Old Testament because we have the New Testament. New Testament didn't exist. So what Jesus is saying is, is this is what we are doing. And if they're doing the same thing we are doing, they're not separate from us. They're a part of us. So now... Let's fast forward here. Now, this was in the book of Mark. Now, you got to remember, this is when Jesus was alive. Now, if we go to Acts chapter 11, verse 26, 
And I want to read this. It says, And when he found, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church, and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Okay, so this is after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the, we're in chapter 11 of the book of Acts, okay? Here it says, And it came to pass that a whole year, after this person, because I don't have the context here, I just have one single verse, after this person was brought unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled. So they were assembling, in other words, they were having church, not in a building necessarily, but having church gathered together, like the Bible says, two or three gathered together, or 10 or 15 gathered together, gathered together in an assembly. That would be, in Greek, that be the that would be the uh, ecclesia, the assembly, the, the church. And so, so for, for one whole year, rain or shine, they were assembling and they were having church and they were talking about the, the Hebrew Bible and how Jesus Christ fulfilled the scriptures and how Jesus came and, and they were probably singing songs and worshiping the Lord and, and uh, probably praying for people and miracles were happening at these services for a year, okay? And then it says, then they, then they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Okay, so that gives you insight of what they were doing. They were teaching people. Why? It's because they were completely Jewish. Now they're teaching them the fulfillment, the doctrine of the fulfillment of the Messiah, the Mashiach, Jesus Christ. So they're telling them about Jesus. That's why they're assembling. See, now they can go to a synagogue and they could talk about the Old Testament and the Mashiach. But this teaching was about the manifested Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one who had come, died, uh, and was crucified on the cross, was buried or put in a tomb for three days and then resurrected. This is what they were teaching them. They were teaching them the resurrection. And then everything brought together with the, uh, you know, the Torah, with the, uh, the prophets and also the writings. They were, they were probably bringing all that together and they were teaching people this. And then it says in the last sentence of this scripture, Verse 26, it says, and the disciples were called, now listen to this, and the disciples were called Christians first at in, in Antioch. So somebody came up with that, and it says the disciples were called Christians, not necessarily the church, because the church, is, the church basically are people who are sitting and listening, and then the disciples obviously are the ones who were teaching. They organized it. They brought people together. They were evangelizing. See, this is this is so. A lot of the stuff that we read here, we take for granted. And really, what this is is evangelism. This is like the fivefold ministry, but not yet called the fivefold ministry. So they were doing all the things that the fivefold ministry describes later on in the New Testament. But this is this was their job. This is what Jesus told them to do: "Go ye therefore." So this is when they were called Christians. Now I want to do just a, a quick. And I'm going to develop a video series called uh, First Discipleship and the Entomology of, okay? So, ent ento etymology, I'm sorry, not entomology, etymology. Etymology of words, okay? And this is the definition of etymology. Etymology means the study of the origin of words and the way in which their meanings have changed throughout history. 
So what we want to do is we want to, of course, look through the the, the scriptures here, and this is what, what, what it's saying here. Now, I'm not going to go in depth of the into the word or the title of Christian, but I want to tell you that the word Christian is a final product for for the English language for us now here in the 21st century. Christian is a derivative of Christ. Christ is a an English form of the word Christ or Christ and of Old English. And then, of course, it goes back to Latin, and then it goes back to Greek, uh, and then it goes back to Aramaic and, and, and Hebrew. So if you start from the very beginning, it is called Moshiach. So if you take the word or the title of Moshiach, there is a, a progression of languages, interpretations of need when writing it, actually using an alphabet, using uh, literary styles in order to be able to translate words, meaning, so that people can read the scriptures, they can know about Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a gigantic narrative of and a, and a history, and a it is very it's worth going into, and, and I will eventually go into this. But there is a a huge story, a historical story, true story about etymology when it comes to these words, and the history tells for itself because of all the because of all the instances in history and what has taken place. So this is important to be able to understand sectarianism is because language has a lot to do with sectarianism. It is, it's, it's basically a section, means separate, and you know, you section things off. That's basically what it means. It's division. And this is not, this is supposed to be one church, one body. As it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, it says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. You could read that for yourself in Romans chapter 12. So it talks about the the doctrine of the body, which is interesting because you talk about the body of Christ. And you really didn't hear anything about this in the Old Testament until the New Testament. And that Paul uses the analogy of Christ's body, which is very interesting. So if you want to interpret Christian or Christians, when they very first got this name here in Antioch, after preaching for a whole year, and after the death of Jesus Christ and, and resurrection. This is something that I think is interesting, that they did not get this name prior to that. Now, if you think about it, I just gave you the etymology of the word Christian. So if you were to say it in Hebrew, it sounds kind of funny, but I made this word up, so this is something that I'm sure someone has done this before. And so the way the scripture would read is this, and the disciples were called Moshiachins first in Antioch. I know that sounds weird, but really when you say Christ, you're saying Messiah or you're saying Moshiach. And these are word translations into different languages so that people can have these scriptures and understand and know about Jesus as the spreading of the gospel. Uh, printing was very big and everything was handwritten at that time. And then you have a lot of people speaking Greek because of the Roman Empire. 
there's a, of course, a lot of people speaking Aramaic and Hebrew because of the region, and that's where the Jews were, and that's where the temple was. And then you have later on in uh, going forward in history, people who are speaking Latin and then then English. So this is the etymology of the word Christian in a nutshell. And so this is how we can try to find out how these things got started. And this is one of them. Now, this Christian, I don't think is uh, necessarily part of the sectarianism because it's still a broad banner of all Christians here, the ones who are speaking the resurrected Christ. That, that's why they're called Christians and what they're teaching, what they're evangelizing, and what, you know, and church planting and such. This is why. Now, Jesus forbade it, sectarianism, as I read to you in Mark chapter 9, 38 through 41, because we're all to be one body. And I read it to you also in the book of Romans chapter 12, we're one body, one faith. Now, I'm going to give you only three examples and the origin of the sectarianism as faiths in Christianity as we know it. Now, after Rome had adopted Christianity with Constantine, there's a lot of debate about this. And this has this is not anti-Catholic or anti-anything. I am bringing out solely facts. And these are this is something I think that people will get upset about, and I realize that, and this is why I'm taking care of trying to be as objective as I can. So, I have here, it says Catholic, mid-14th century, of the doctrines of the ancient church before the East-West Schism, literally universally accepted. From French, Catholique, from Church Latin, Catholicus, Universal general. From Greek, let's see if I can pronounce this, Catholicos. From the phrase, Kath, Olu, the whole in general. From Kata, about, plus genitive of Ulos, whole. From Pi root, soul. Whole, well kept. Okay, medieval Latin, Catholicus, was particularly synonymous with Christian and meant constituting or conforming to the church, its faith and organization, as opposed to local sect of heresies, with capital C, applied by Protestants to the church in Rome, 1554, after the Reformation began, general sense of embracing all universal. In English is from 1550s, meaning not narrow-minded or bigoted, is from the 1580s. The Latin word was rendered in Old English, eagle aflic. Now this is very interesting because I gave you a brief etymology of the word Catholic. Now, the next one, is the sect of Lutheranism. Now, this is a short definition of, of Lutheran. 1520s, adjective and noun, of or pertaining to Martin Luther, or the sect he founded, which has his name 
or its doctrines from name of German religious reformer Martin Luther, 1483 to 1546. Luther called it the Evangelical Church, used by the Catholic 16th century in reference to all Protestants, regardless of sect. In 16th century, Lutheran also was used related Lutheranism, 1560. So, if you know the story about Martin Luther, and I'm not talking about the uh, civil rights leader, I'm talking about Martin Luther, the reformer. You can look up so much information on Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. But the reason why that the we're, we are called Protestants, and which is different from Catholicism or Catholics, is because Protestants, the root word is to protest. So Protestant is spelled P-R-O-T-E-S-T, protest, and then A-N-T-S, Protestants. So we are Protestants. That's how the Catholic Church split because of a lot of things. I'm not here to to drag out anybody's dirty laundry. But what I am here to do is to give objective facts for you to go back and study. And so Lutheranism was something is something that actually still exists today. Now one of the most famous one of the most famous, not the famous, but one of the most famous famous Lutherans in world history, as far as like the Lutheran Church goes, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran minister, Lutheran pastor, in right in the middle of the Nazi occupation of World War II. And he stood strong throughout the entire persecution of Christians. Dietrich Bonhoeffer obviously was a German-born native, and right before the war ended, they hung him. So he he stood his ground. He stood his faith for Christ. And this has reinforced uh, the Lutheran faith because of acts like his. And the third and final one I would like to cover in a nutshell is Pentecostal. This is a short etymology of the word Pentecostal. It says 1660s pertaining to the Pentecost from Latin, from Latin Pentecostalis, and it has parentheses of Tertullian. Tertullian had written down a lot of and chronicled a lot of things during the time of the Christians and the time in that time period that is not in the Bible. It's extra biblical. His writings are extra biblical. So we can gather also from Tacitus and also from Josephus. These are men that were writing things down at that time. Okay. From Pentecost with a capital P and meaning Pentecostalist in reference to Christian sect emphasizing gifts of the Holy Spirit referring to the book of Acts. It is attested from 1904, noun and adjective, related to Pentecostalism, 1932, and Pentecostalist. So in 
So if you notice on each of the three categories of sectarianism that we have today, we still see today, they all have dates on them. They all have a time when they've started or they have either a single person or a group of people that are propagating it or that are agreeing together and saying, yeah, let's call it this. So there, these are things that are post-Christ, post-Book of Acts, which tells us the authority of sectarianism is just not there. That one faith, one Christ, one belief system. And it almost seems, and there's others out there, and I didn't cover. I mean, there's others like baptism, the Baptists, and there's so much others, but I only want to cover three because I want to show you that every one of these have founding dates to them, including Mormonism, including Jehovah's Witness, the, the Watchtower, uh, and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They all have founders and dates. And even if you want to even go as far as to say that even Islam started after Christianity started. There's so many religions that have started. They all have either founders or they have a group of people saying this is what it is. Now, Christianity starts with Jesus Christ. It doesn't start with a group of people. It starts with Jesus, a single God-man. And it doesn't have necessarily a date, but it does because Jesus' birth stopped and restarted the calendar, is why we have 2021. Now, the Hebrew calendar is far different, because today, in July of 2021, it's 55781. Now, Jesus is not interested in sectarianism. He's not interested in division. He's not interested in, in doctrinal issues, because he's the one who gave the ultimate doctrine. If you look in the book of Romans and you look in the book of Acts, there was a lot of argumentation about Christianity, so-called, and then Judaism. So you have argumentations of circumcision, argumentations of baptism, argumentations of doctrine, of the Torah, and the list goes on and on. And, and it's not like this went smoothly. It went very rough. And then... Three, four, five hundred years later, even up to two hundred years later, after Christ's resurrection, you have the Gnostic Gospels that were trying to come in, and it just muddied the water even more for people who weren't astute in the Scriptures. But for the ones who knew the Scriptures well, for the ones who knew the words of Jesus Christ, the acts of Jesus Christ, the acts of the Apostles, and once the, the canon of Scripture was closed, it was closed, 66 books as we have today. Now, people derive all different types of sectarianism, and, and I, I applaud the late Ravi Zacharias, and I remember him talking about sectarianism. He says, there are hundreds of thousands of Christian of faith and some of them is a faith of one. One person, he means. And he says they're in there, he's not surprised that you have when Jesus mixed some mud and he 
used some spit and made some or dirt and then made some mud and then he put it on the eyes of the of the blind man. He says, I'm not surprised and I wouldn't be surprised if they have mud, the Muddites and the anti-Muddites. I thought that was funny, but he was completely correct because there's people that would literally literally take something like the the way Jesus healed somebody with mud and then people who are against mud healing. So I it sounds comical, but I, I agree with... Um, I agree with the late Ravi Zacharias when he said that. And so there's there's more to be said on this. But the point I'm trying to make is I'm trying to make this simple. Because it's not hard to figure out that Jesus doesn't want us to be divided. We're supposed to be one body. So why don't we see it? And that's the big question here. Why don't we see unification amongst Christians? Well, here in the United States, we have our own problems. In other countries, they have their own problems. Up until the 1960s, and even after the 1960s in America, Sunday, when everybody goes to church, was the most divided and segregated day of the week. Because ethnic people, specifically African American people, were segregated and not allowed into churches that were designated for segregation so they they could not they could not be a part of a of a of a church that didn't allow people of color and even after the 1960s when the the government stepped in and made things right and got rid of barring people from different aspects of freedom it still continued and up until probably, I'm just going to guess this, up until maybe 20 years ago, maybe 20, maybe 30, 30 at best, but no more than that. I could tell you that because I'm 53 and I still remember certain things that churches are now more integrated by far. And it's good to see. And I'm glad people are not particular, but there are still people out there who are very particular of who they want to see in church and who they don't. This is sad. Now, this is the problem here that we have or have had or is getting better to some degree and, and not necessarily getting worse. But these are the problems we have here in the United States. Now, in other countries, I don't know. I can't tell you. I can't tell you what the problems that they have. I know that in South Africa, there was apartheid. It was no, no different than segregation here in the United States um, from the 1960s on back. So there are things that have helped this along. Sectarianism, there are things that help this along. And this is one of them for the, for here in the West, in the United States. There are other things. And then, like I said, I don't need to be hanging out anybody's dirty laundry. This is not, not the point. The point is, is why is this happening? So I want you to just not say that it's one thing. It's multiple things. And all you have to do is investigate. All you have to do is read. You have to take a look at, you got to know where to look. Look at the progression of words. That's one way. That'll tell you the history of a word. Because what you think a word means doesn't mean what it meant, say, 2,000 years ago, or say, 1,000 years ago, or even a couple hundred years ago. The King James Version was written in 1611. And if you look at the these and the thous and, and all of the, the way that they talk in Old English, these are translations that at the time was 
was like the reinvention of the wheel. It was amazing and how you can get all the scriptures in English. So a lot of English people were able to read the Bible because of this and the printing press. So there's a lot of advances that were made. So now we have another problem. Which Bible translation is true? See, a lot of people like King James only. And, and there is actually a book out there called King James Only. And I have the book. I've read probably half of it. And it's interesting because it goes to the progression of how the translations came about and, and then what people think about it. I think it's really interesting. It's a good read. So the contribution to sectarianism is by us, by following without questioning. That's one problem. Another problem is somebody standing up and saying, hey, we're Lutheran or we're Catholic or we're Pentecostal. So Pentecostal really didn't get going until about maybe 1940, 1950, and then it exploded. And it basically became the evangelical or the charismatic or, you know, the whatever they want to call it, born again, whatever they want to call it nowadays. We don't even know what to call it because it's given so many names. It's morphed into so many different definitions. And even amongst Pentecostals, there's oneness Pentecostal, there's uh, Pentecostal, Trinitarian Pentecostal. There's so many different types of Pentecostals now. And even there, the Pentecostals, when they were recognized, they're, they're now disputing whether what doctrine of the church is true and what's not, or what's authentic and what isn't. And then you have these debates within the Pentecostal community of healings and laying on of hands and um, being slain in the spirit and talking in tongues. There's disputes everywhere now. And, and, and so if you take a look at what Jesus is saying, he's saying we're all one church. We're all one body. Paul, the Apostle Paul backs that up. The Apostles back that up. The early church backs that up. They gained the name Christians because that's what people called them. The, the Apostles didn't say, we're, we're now, we're making an announcement today. This is one of the announcements that we're going to make today in church, and we are now going to be officially called Christians. They didn't do that. They were given that name. And... Obviously, because of the Catholic Church, they weren't called Christians. It developed into the, into the term Catholic. So, if, when people say, are you a Christian? That's a t- that is a loaded question, I believe. It's a loaded question. And then when people say, yeah, I'm a Christian, then they're going to ask you, what's the next question? What do you believe? What church do you go to? Are you... Baptist? Are you Pentecostal? Are you Lutheran? Are you Episcopalian? Are you Jehovah's Witness? Are you Mormon? The list goes on and on and on. And so, really, if you really think about it, the first church was non-denominational. Now, people, I mean, bringing in culture, the cult, culture can influence it, and, and think about how it can in praise and worship. I've listened to African praise and worship. Absolutely beautiful. The style, the harmony, the cadence, and their praise and worship to God. Totally cultural. Now, if you go to another country, say like in Mexico, 
it is a completely different style, completely different cadence, completely different language, and, and how they worship. And since I'm Native American, a lot of the praise and worship is old-time gospel, like what was saying like in the, you know, 16, 1700. I mean, the, the, the song Amazing Grace was written by a ship captain who was a slaver. He would catch, or he would actually be the transportation. The, the, the slave catchers from Africa would catch them and they would load them on his boat and he'd take them over. And he wrote Amazing Grace. He repented of his sins. And then, he, and part of that song is part of his testimony. John Newton, 1779. So natives sing these older songs. And then as it blossomed more and more, there were songs written that had a lot to do with scripture. There's beautiful songs that were written right out of scripture and are still today, still sung. A lot of the songs that came, that were written, came out of the South. Slave songs. African Americans that were slaves were singing in the fields, worshiping God in slavery. Beautiful songs. So yeah, I would say that culture can play a role in how you praise and worship. But when it comes to doctrine, there is a gigantic doctrine at the Seventh-day Adventist issue with, with Orthodox Christianity. See, there's another term. That the Sabbath is on Saturday. And technically in Judaism, going on their calendar, the Sabbath is Friday night into Saturday. But the historical aspect of Sunday is the resurrection of Christ. They're just kind of like, okay, we'll just do Sunday now. That's what we're doing, is to honor to honor that. There, there's, believe me, there is so much history here that you need to know. Now, I'm giving you a, a premise, a, a foundation, and I'm critically asking and talking about certain questions that I had to ask and I have answered many times. You need to do your own study. Don't just rely on me. I'm giving you avenues here to look up angles in which to come at this. It's not just one way to come at this. There's many ways, many aspects of history that we can deduct from and then be induced to the truth. Logic and reason. Study. Investigation. Learning what words mean. Looking them up. The language that the Bible's written in, Greek and Hebrew. Look up the, the history of the Bible. There are certain ways, things that you can find out. You know, what, what books of the Bible were taken out, what books were left in, and what are the reasons why they took them out and left them in? You see, all these are really good questions. They will lead you to the truth. Now, I get a lot of these questions, and I rarely make videos, but now that I have this platform now of putting it on Facebook, of putting it on YouTube, and now putting it on podcast, it's very important that I try to give the best answer possible because I've studied these things for over 20 years. Listen to a lot of people, read a lot of things on the internet and read a lot of books. And there's just so many things that have come out of this, but I'm, is the reason why I'm building a church is because of these things that I believe that when people have an issue with it, I'll be able to, in the best of my ability as a 
amateur apologist. So back to the original question, why do we have sectarianism? Number one, it was not sanctioned by Jesus. It was actually forbid. Number two, every single sect of Christianity has an origin of either in one person or a group of people agreeing upon a certain doctrine or a certain knowledge that they have in Scripture that pretty much is public domain. It's available to everybody. And then number three, historical events and people solidifying their faith in that particular sect. So I would say that I'm going to go with Jesus because he's he because he is the founder of of the faith, and whether it's called Christianity or not, that's the reference that we have now. We are the believers in the Messiah. We are the believers in Christ, the Mashiach. We are believers in Him. And if they want to call us Christians, let them call us Christians. If they want to label us because they need something to call us, then let them call us Christians. But I can tell you right here and now, the the name and the word. To be honest with you, means nothing if you don't have Jesus Christ in your heart. It means nothing if you do, are not obeying his words and his commands to love God and to love one another. If we're not doing those things, I don't care what you call somebody. It doesn't mean that they are. Go to church on Sunday, act like an angel on Sunday, and be a devil for six weeks or for six days. So really it's your faith. It's what you, it, do you, do you know God? Do you, do you, are, are you in a relationship with Jesus Christ? I mean, this is what it boils down to. Sectarianism is not going to save you. Being a Baptist, being a Pentecostal, being a Catholic, being a Christian, that's not going to save you. You see, and this is where you get it wrong. This is where everybody gets it wrong. We are of one faith, one body in Jesus Christ. This is Pastor Frank at Frank's Bible Study. Amen.